Give me some sugar. I am your neighbor. Hey, Rockers. Welcome back. It's Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley, sitting across from the Vernon Reed to my Will <laughs> Calhoun, the Dean of Rock You. Matt Black. Hey, Podcast Land. How you doing out there? All right, man. What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the best song bridges. Song bridges. Our top five song bridges. But before we get into that, what are you wearing? I'm wearing my Beatles Abbey Road t-shirt, and it's a reference not to the album, but to the studio itself. And I'm wearing my 40th anniversary signal shirt by Rush. Nice. Just because it's awesome. And maybe there's something that you'll see here in a minute. All right, so best bridges. What's your criteria for, well, let's, let's start by defining a bridge. Let's start by defining a yeah. bridge, yeah. So a bridge is a section of a song which is musically different from the other sections of the song, which might be the intro, the verse, the pre-chorus, the chorus. Sometimes there's an outro. Sometimes there's a solo, which could or could not be a bridge. Often there's something we would call a break or an interlude. But the two things that, for my at least my criteria, the way I define right. a bridge, and you know these things can be loosely defined, but the way I define a bridge for the purposes of this list, and I think the way most people would agree to define a bridge, first, it can only occur once in the song. Any element that's repeated is not generally considered a bridge. Okay. It might be a section with a letter, like you could just call it like a, a C section or a D section, but it's not a bridge unless it only appears once. Okay. And the second thing is it has to be musically different from the rest of the song. Right. That could be as simple as changing the melody, but usually it's a change of chord progression and often it's a change of key entirely. Right. So there are different ways to make that section distinct. Sometimes the bridge is referred to as the part of the song that makes the rest of the song sound good. But we're, <laughs> I think, yeah. going today for bridges that are actually very strong sections of songs, the songs they're in. Right. I agree with all of that on the definition. Mm -hmm. So what were your criteria for picking your top five bridges? Different reasons for picking the different ones I did, but I will say that in my honorable mentions, I'm going to mention a few songs that have very strong sections, which I disqualified as being bridges because they don't appear only once. Ah, okay. So, so for, that, that was very firm on the, it can only happen once in the song. Okay. And by the way, sometimes a bridge can be repeated in an outro, for example. I, if it did, I, I disqualified. I don't think I did that. I didn't okay. go that far. But were there any other criteria? Not really. I, I okay. picked the, 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 the five bridges I picked, I picked each for its unique reason. Okay. This was a really hard list for me. To Very make. hard. A bridge or several too far. Too far. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through and say, number one, that I really liked the song. Number two, the bridge had to have, at least in my opinion, kind of a stark contrast to the rest of the song. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be, you know, a key change that, that slightly changed the song. To me, it had to be a really... Um, totally distinct. Distinct. Thank you. That's, that's the word I was looking for. And I had to really, really like the bridge, maybe even more than the entire yeah. song itself. Definitely going for that, yeah. So there's there's that. All right. Who went first last time? I think you went I first. I went first last time. All right. I'll go first you go this first. time. So my number five. By the way, I predict we have no overlaps on this one. There's you so think? many bridges out there. There's so many bridges out there. Yeah, that's true. We, yeah. we we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. We could be wrong. We may have to get out the bell, though. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. My number five is November Rain by Guns N' Roses off Use Your Illusion 1 from 1991. The bridge starts at about the 648 mark in the song. It's a long song. you got to wait a long time to get to the bridge. And it's marked by the energetic piano line, and then the marching cadence on the snare drum enters, and it's followed by strings and then the power chords on the guitar. And then Slash just tears into another burning solo, the second one that's on this song. And then the finale comes in. 
powerfully played, well arranged. I just wish they hadn't taken so long to get to the bridge. Can I interject for a second? Sure. I always say about about Guns N' Roses, because we do a lot of Guns N' Roses here at Rock U. Yeah. Good songwriters, terrible editors. All their songs should have been cut down by at least two or three minutes. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. It's the lead track on side three of the first of their two double albums that they released like together. Like I said. <laughs> yeah. That they released on the same day. Just a couple of weird facts about this one. This was uh, after Steven Adler, the drummer, had left the band, and Matt Sorum was actually on both Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. And then backup vocals on this track were a number of people, but the one who really stands out is Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon, the lead singer of Blind Melon, was actually a backup singer on this song on the record. So that's my number five. What do you have at starting of your list? All right. I started with, sometimes I do this, I'll pick a song which could stand in for several other songs in the particular artist catalog. Yeah. I admire one particular band for writing great bridges. They also write great choruses. I think they may be the greatest chorus writers, in at least in the, their era, okay. um, and that's Weezer. And right. I could have picked a lot of Weezer bridges. Weezer bridges have the character of often being, well, first of all, very distinct from the rest of the song. Right. Often the high point of the song in some ways, but they always, they just have a gift for leading back in to the usually the solo or the chorus beautifully I picked Say It Ain't So Okay, I could have picked Miss Sweeney but I'd used it on a list before I could have picked Island yeah. in the Sun one of the really cool things about the bridge in Say It Ain't So is how it unlocks the meaning of the song without the bridge the song is a lot more obscure and Rivers Cuomo wrote the song about uh, an experience he had as a teenager his okay. parents had divorced he blamed the divorce on his father's alcoholism and he found a beer in his fridge that his stepfather had put there and he was afraid the same thing would happen with his you know his stepfather yeah that's pretty obscure if you only look at the lyrics of the verses and choruses but the bridge makes it much more explicit the bridge he talks about reconnecting with his father after he's cleaned up yeah and about how his feelings about alcohol and it's just it's a great bridge musically it's a great bridge lyrically and weezer are just among the best bridge writers out there cool say it ain't so by weezer all right my number four i'm doing kind of the same thing about picking a band that writes really good bridges and that band is living color they've got a lot of jazz influence from vernon reed the guitar player and I think that's where they get the ability to write a lot of these bridges. I could have gone with Fight the Fight or This is the Life off of their sophomore effort, Time's Up. But I had to go with Desperate People off of Vivid from 1988. The bridge starts at about the three-minute mark, and it's like an entire other song. And with Corey Glover's fierce vocal over the insistent beat laid down by Will Calhoun... And the relatively simple guitar work by Vernon Reed, which is a huge choice for him because he is he is frenetic most of the time. The music then goes back to the original groove as Corey Glover finishes the bridge verse and then leads into a usual Vernon Reed frenetic guitar solo. It's a song about the effects of drug addiction, but the bridge in this song is just phenomenal. It just goes so well with the rest of the song, but it's completely different. Cool. I'm off the top of my head, not familiar with it. Desperate People is an off cut on that record. It was not released as a single, and you're not going to know it unless you bought the album and listened to to it it. all the way through. But it's a good cut. Go pull it up and listen to it. All right. Ready for my number four? I am ready. Okay, this is a great bridge by a great band in a great song, and it's Hey Ya by Outkast. Yes. 
And yes, good and choice. It's really got it's a double bridge because first there's a bridge where the the background music doesn't change, but the melody and structure of the lyrics change. And then there's a breakdown section, which where it just goes down yeah. to the yeah the basic beat. First of all, it's a really fun song, but the bridge is is probably the best part. It's got the famous lines like "What's better than being cool? Ice cold." Ice cold. The, the call and response, and then "Shake it like a Polaroid picture," which yes. entered the the slang lexicon in English. And then the and you're the, not supposed to shake Polaroid pictures, kid. That's what Polaroid said. I didn't actually know that. <laughs> and then the uh, the great ending part: "Give me some sugar. I am your neighbor." Yeah. And it's just it, it's just such an infectious, enthusiastic song. But either any of those three elements would have on their own probably would have made it a notable bridge. But to combine those three things in such a great song, it's just a winning combination. Hey, yeah, by Outcast. My number yeah. four. So my number three, going to my t-shirt, it's not off of Signals, it's off Permanent Waves. It's The Spirit of Radio by Rush. This song has about as many musical twists and turns in it as Lombard Street in San Francisco during the normal <laughs> part of the song. But then you get to the bridge that comes in at about the 350 mark, you almost get whiplash, and any other band would have given you whiplash. But with Rush doing the transition, it's kind of like riding in a Porsche 911 Turbo on the freeway. Thanks for that ride, Rob. When the bridge comes in, it's a reggae sound with Alex Lifeson playing the skank on the guitar. There's even some steel drum that goes into it. And the group had experimented with reggae-influenced riffs in the studio before and it actually come up with a reggae introduction to Working Man that they wow. played during their concerts. So they decided to incorporate a passage of reggae into the spirit of radio. And as Alex Lifeson said, the reason we did it was to make us smile and have a little fun. Those guys had so much fun, and they were such virtuosic musicians, all three of them. Anything they write is amazing, but that bridge in Spirit of Radio, that's one of my favorite bridges of all time. I love it. Cool. My number three? Your number three. Okay, I dislike repeating songs on, my, on these lists. I don't know that I've ever actually done it. I've tried to avoid even repeating artists when I can, but this is I a I think repeat. it's okay. We're I know, on episode, I know, I know. what, 23 uh, now? Yeah, okay. 22, but yeah. I'm going to use a song I've already used, and it's Used to Be a Cop by Drive-By Truckers, okay. which I used in our Story Songs episode last season. Right. And I have I, always... I remember that bridge, yeah. yeah. I have always felt that this is one of the best bridges I've ever heard. This is a dark psychological portrait of a deeply disturbed and unhappy person. Yes. And he's muttering or grumbling about the negative things in his life. And in the middle of the song, out of nowhere, the key changes to a major key. Right. And there's a very short bridge, I think it's uh, 16 measures maybe, mm-hmm. where he talks about the positive experiences that he looks back on. Basically, he's a cop who's been disciplined for excessive use of force, has been divorced from his wife. He just His life has fallen apart, but he looks back on his youth and how he used to play football in high school and, right. and love that experience. And then past his police academy ex- entrance on the first try, you see that there's a happy person behind all this pain, somewhere deeply buried in his past. And the use of the major key chain the change to the major key is just so brilliantly and seamlessly done and then it's back to the minor key so again just a, a deeply intricate moving just really well executed psychological portrait all illuminated by that bridge the song doesn't work nearly as well without it yeah. used to be a cop by drive-by truckers what's your number three number or two four, number two sorry yeah number yeah. two my number two is separate ways worlds apart by journey off of their song. frontiers record from 1983 this is a power ballad that forgot the ballad part <laughs> it was written in 82 while the band was on tour for their album Escape. Jonathan Kane said of the song, he's their keyboard player, we needed a main rhythm 
to run through the synthesizer, and Steve Smith designed that kind of a drum beat to let everything breathe. That's about the whole song. But the bridge starts at about the 343 mark with some power chords, that driving synth arpeggio that keeps the beat, and a pounding drum part. The only thing missing from the bridge is Steve Perry's voice, but this bridge doesn't really need it. And that's saying a lot. When you're a band that has a vocalist like Steve Perry and you write this, just off the chart good. Steve Perry's powerful, ah, that part that leads you back into the rest of the song is a really great transition. But every time that bridge comes on, I got to kick it up a couple of notches on the volume. That's my number two. So what's your number two? My number two is Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. Oh, yeah. Good call. It's a great bridge. It brings the song down to a very simple pattern of uh, mostly snapping fingers and vocals. Yeah. And then brings it up to an emotional crescendo, which leads back into a chorus and an outro and so on. But basically, it is the high, is the emotional high point of the song. It features this beautiful vocal duetting with David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. The whole song features that, but I think this is the best performance in the song that occurs on the bridge. Right. The whole song is musically interesting. It may sound simple, but it's musically interesting. One of the things that's really interesting about the song when you break it down is there are sections of any song and sometimes the chord progressions change between sections of a song and sometimes patterns change right in under pressure the sections don't change together so the bass part in particular changes at different times from the chord progression and the lyric melody it's very strange so you have to really pick this up with earphones you can't and you have to really concentrate you on the bass part on and you almost it. have yeah, to write it down and say wait a second the bass line changed I don't but the chord the, the chord progression didn't change till four bars later things yeah. like that I think that's one of the reasons why this song works so well is because the bass line just sort of has a way of pulling you through the bass line actually mostly drops out in the bridge and then picks it up again and that's what that's what builds the emotional power of the bridge into the outro anyway I just love that bridge I don't have much more to say about it than that what's your number one my number one the top of my list and i don't think you're gonna have this one so i don't think we're gonna have a copy it's the confessor by joe walsh off the album of the same name from 1985 this song is a complete departure for joe walsh and when you mention bridges by joe walsh uh, well, you mentioned Bridges and Joe Walsh in the same sentence. Most people think of like Funk Number no. 49 by the James Gang. And that's a great bridge. But I think this one is so much better, even though it's not as well known. Joe Walsh usually has a bunch of funny songs that he puts together. Life's Been Good to Me So Far is a great example of that. But this one is one of his very few serious songs and it's about rules for living your life. There's a dreamy synth-led intro that goes on for over a minute, and then the song segues into a mostly acoustic groove. And then at about the 4.05 mark of this seven-minute tune, the bridge hits with a chord change on an electric guitar, and then Joe's vocals with simply the drums behind him. And then after a few lines, his vocal drops out, And he plays this amazing guitar solo that is just classic Joe Walsh. I love the song. I love the start. I love the slow build of it. And then that bridge comes. Oh, it's amazing. And then the finale is really, really short. It's less than 30 seconds. And it's just such a great cap to that song. 
If you haven't listened to The Confessor by Joe Walsh, I highly recommend going to listen to that. Going to go do that. And listening to the bridge on it. All right, man. Top of the list. Top you of get the, list. the last word. Right. What's the best well, bridge in rock and roll? I'm wearing my Abbey Road t-shirt for the band and the studio because my number one bridge is a towering musical and technical accomplishment. Okay. When we talked about best intros, I went to Hard Day's Night. Yes. When we talked about best outros, I went to Hey Jude. Yeah. We're talking about best bridges. I got to stick with the Beatles. I got to go. Can I guess? Sure, go for it. Something? No. I don't know. Go it's for a it. day in the life. Ah! It's a huge bridge. Yes. It is the mother of all bridges. <laughs> it is probably the most musically significant bridge in rock and roll, I would say. It's got a lot of elements, so strap yourself in. Okay. The first thing is, you have to recall when you listen to Beatles recordings, first of all, that if you hear things that don't sound all that different, it's because everyone after them has been influenced by them. The second thing is, yeah. you have to realize how difficult it was. These guys were recording on a four-track machine for almost their entire recording career. Yeah. They only got eight track for I think the last album or two and four track is hard you can't mix tracks too much because you lose quality so they had to plan everything in advance and they had to do it very creatively and they came up with these solutions on the fly mostly there's a great book called Here There and Everywhere by Jeff Emmerich who was their sound engineer for a lot of their recordings just how did he solve these technical problems how did he get what the Beatles wanted what they heard in their heads how did he get it onto tape and this is one of the best examples of it so the Beatles John Lennon comes in with the idea for a day in the life and normally they would take some time to do guide tracks and think through things but they were so excited by that they wanted to get the instrumental track done but they knew they wanted something bigger they didn't know what it was so they left a 24 bar open space on the tape it was the only way they could preserve enough quality without bouncing the tracks down too much right they couldn't splice it in there was no digital editing so they had to leave a 24 bar space on the tape let's deal with that first this is the first part of the bridge okay well actually no let's come back to that later because it was recorded later Mal Evans their longtime friend and roadie was tasked with counting off the bars and on some of the mixes you can hear him counting. Oh, wow. And the Beatles were just ready to play at the end of 24 bars. They were ready to play what came next because they couldn't stop and and splice. They didn't do that back then. Uh, You know, splice the tape together and do a separate take for a separate section. And so he set an alarm clock to tell them that they were close to the time they had to play again. They couldn't get that alarm clock off the tape. So So it's it's on on there. there. And the first lyrics of the second half of the bridge are, woke up. Got out of bed. So yeah. they, it works perfectly, as, as if it was intentional. It was a, one of the best examples of a happy accident in rock and roll that I can think of. That alarm clock works absolutely perfectly with the second part of the bridge, right. which was a completely different song that Paul yeah. McCartney had written and said, why don't we use this for the bridge? And it just works perfectly. So the Paul McCartney written, I woke up, got out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. Yeah. And somehow they managed to fuse or uh, meld these two these two elements that are so different, musically and thematically, they managed to work together perfectly well. Again, the alarm clock is a happy accident. Now, let's go back to those open tour 24 bars. Okay. The Beatles were very experimental. They had great ideas. They didn't always know how to communicate those ideas to what were considered, quote-unquote, professional musicians, making stu- <laughs> studio air quotes. Yeah. They decided they wanted an orchestral sound, a big sound, where they wanted all the instruments in the orchestra to play from the lowest note to the highest note uh, over 24 bars. Just make this crazy crescendo. Yeah. Now, first of all, the first thing was George, um, George, George Martin? Martin said, we can't afford an orchestra. Ringo had the idea, let's just get half an orchestra and have him play it twice. 
<laughs> and they actually did it. They afforded it that way. So these BBC orchestra, you know, Phil, or London Philharmonic or whoever they were, they, I think it's the BBC yeah. Philharmonic, they come in and of course, they're like, who are these 22-year-old, 25-year-old kids who can't read music, don't know what they're talking about? What are they telling us what to do? So Paul McCartney's trying to communicate what they want. The musicians are being all snarky about it. They don't want it. Yeah. They don't like these upstart Beatles and their music and their, their style. So George Martin had to go between the two and sort of moderate. He actually had to write out scores. All he was saying was play from the lowest instrument to the highest instrument and take 24 bars to get there. They could not grasp that concept. Yeah. They had to have it written out for him, which yeah. George Martin did. And they played it and it worked. Now, there's another thing here. To get the two recordings to work in time, they had to use two different machines and there was no way to sync these up. So Jeff Emmerich, in some brilliant bit of reverse engineering, yeah. found ways to, to time the two tapes to start at the same time, stop at the same time and link and link up because these are not perfect machines. They don't spin exactly the same right. rate all yeah. the time. Yeah. And if you use a different machine, tape machine, you're going to get a different, a different pitch, pitch and you yeah. can't use that. And they took eight takes and only, I think, only a couple of them were usable. And that's one of the ones that ended up on the track. And they had to then splice this in. The whole thing is a towering accomplishment, as I said, of technical brilliance and musical innovation. Especially with the technology that they had available. With the technology they had at the time, right. And, and, you know, today this would be child's play for someone with 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 Pro Tools and a PC. Pro Tools, a bank of samples, and then off you go. It's no big deal. But that's all because the Beatles had the inventiveness to say, we want to hear something Make Different. it happen. And they had yeah. the, the luck to have George Martin and Jeff Emmerich as part of their team. Again, I, I'll stand by this most significant bridge in rock and roll, A Day in the Life. All right. My honorable mentions list is titled Honorable Too Many to Mention. <laughs> I have a lot, but not not. I had one thing. song that I was like, uh, this is just where I need this to be a top six instead of a top mm-hmm. five, but it just barely didn't make my top five. It's Strawberry Letter 23 by the Brothers Johnson. Do you know this song? Not at all. Okay. Not by that name anyway. The only reason it didn't make the list is because the song isn't even half as good as the bridge. The guitar part in the bridge, I won't call it a solo because it's just a part, but they drop out from the usual kind of uh, wavy. 70s funk yacht rocky song that they've got going on to this amazing guitar line that goes through the whole song i love that guitar line so much but the song's just not that great otherwise behind blue eyes by the who i mean yeah that's again that was that was another one that could have been at number six the acoustic part of the song and then when they get to the hard driving guitars and keith moon's frenetic drums and daltry's snarling vocal just amazing that's a really good one Wish I thought of that. Layla by Derek and the Dominoes. The piano. That's all I need to say. Uh, other ones. Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden has a great bridge. And then talking about a guy who writes great bridges, George Harrison. Here comes the sun, something, and badge, which was originally titled Bridge, mm-hmm. but because of Harrison's handwriting right. and Eric Clapton looking at it from the other side, upside down, was like, yeah. badge? And Harrison was like, dude, that's a better title than Bridge. <laughs> now, the starkest change that I found doing my research listening to songs on this one has to be An Englishman in New York by Sting. Because the jazzy interlude that just is followed by maybe two bars of this super loud electronic drum break, it's kind of a shock. And then he just goes back into Englishman in New York. I had to mention a couple of other bands that do great bridges, Beatles, obviously. But one of the bands that I th- I like a whole lot that don't make stark contrast bridges is Toad the Wet Sprocket. They have tons of bridges in their song. They're cool. awesome. 
Do you have too many honorable no, mentions? No, I have, I have a few. I have a okay. reasonable number. Because um, we the, went through so many songs yeah, to get to these. One of the songs that I didn't use because the bridge element does repeat, so I disqualified it, is Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. Yeah. Uh, it does the same thing as used to be a cop. It changes just one chord from a minor to a major just to add a different emotional element, but it, it does it more than once, so I took it out. I like the bridge of Where the Streets Have No Name, which you used on a previous yes. top five. I think you're number one for top intros, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Just a nice little change, subtle but really works. Yes. Um, I think The Bridge of Firework by Katy Perry is a great bridge. Just another one of those songs where the bridge is the high point of the song. Yeah. And that's a song with a lot of high points to begin with. I love The Bridge of Panama by Van Halen. Yes. I think that's a really cool bridge. Like it's the ease the seat back. fun bridge. Yeah, it's a really fun yeah. bridge. But I also, I mean, I think a lot of attention goes to the cool, like, lyrical breakdown where he's kind of, you know, talking seductively about what's going on. But I really like the guitar on that bridge. I think it's really, yeah. really cool guitar part. I love the bridge, but I don't really think of it as a bridge so i disqualified it of about damn time by lizzo okay uh, where she breaks it down with a little bit of a different rhythm but the bridge it's not musically distinct enough for me to be considered a bridge so i okay. left it out i also love the bridge of paradise by the dashboard light where phil rizzuto yep. does his uh, play-by-play <laughs> but again that's not really a bridge either because that's really a song with four distinct sections this is one of the songs and then i mentioned miss sweeney which i really like but had already used and yep. my final honorable mention is kiss by prince just love that bridge no particular reason just it's a cool bridge it's one of your favorites. Yeah. That's good stuff. If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, there is a Spotify playlist that you can find in the show notes that has them all. Dude, Matt, that adult band show was awesome. You rocked off, it. Off the hook. Yeah, it was so yeah. good. What do we tell people if they want to do it? Listen, this is a fun thing to do. Yeah, I promise so you won't regret it. We just had a great show on Sunday, February 5th at La Bounoir. We're going to start semester two on Monday, February 13th, and we're going to be playing at La Javel in June for our big end of the year show. It's your turn to join an adult band. Don't let the kids have all the fun. Come on down. You know you want to. All right, I'm signing up right now right do it where do, where do i sign www.rock-u.fr sweet Welcome back, kids. We're going to talk about an interesting topic right now. Seth's going to take the lead on this one. We're going to talk about music used as psychological warfare. <laughs> Seth, what have you got for us? So my undergraduate degree is in psychology, oddly enough. And we had Tell brought... me how you feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> the subject came up between me and Matt, and we thought, hey, maybe we should go through this a little bit. Some of our younger listeners might not remember, but on Christmas Day in 1989, Panamanian strongman General Manuel Noriega became probably the most famous victim of something called music torture when the United States Army surrounded the Vatican's embassy in Panama City after President George H.W. Bush, the first one, had sent the army to Panama to arrest Noriega on drug trafficking and other charges. So they had a fleet of Humvees that had mounted loudspeakers, and they started playing rock music as loud as they could, 24 hours a day, in order to make it as uncomfortable as possible for Noriega. It's kind of like the scene in Apocalypse Now where they hang the speakers out of the helicopters and play... Ride of the Valkyries. Ride of the Valkyries, thank you. That was not on the playlist that the Army radio DJs in the area picked to put on. But some of the songs they picked had some pretty ironic value, like I Fought the Law by The Clash, (laughs) 
Panama, Panama by Van, Van Halen. Halen. Absolutely. I was waiting for you to mention it. And U2's All I Want Is You. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, the Pope complained to President Bush, and the music stopped after three days. Noriega surrendered on January 3rd of 1990. But did the music affect his decision? I don't think anybody knows. I doubt knows. it. Yeah. I doubt Those it. are good songs. But there are some <laughs> other songs that they used. Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Also great. Nowhere to Run by Martha Reeves also and great. the Vandellas. <laughs> Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. Also great. <laughs> And I hope they were playing this after dark. You shook me all night long by ACDC. <laughs> that wasn't the only time that the United States has actually used this tactic. Sadly, in 1993, during a 51-day standoff with the Branch Davidians outside of Waco, Texas, the government played some pop music, including Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking. Oh my goodness. And the sound of things like jet airplanes and Tibetan chanting, like, all night. So, wow. That was part of their music torture that they used on that thing. And even in 2010, when the Marines were in Afghanistan, they were playing Metallica, Thin Lizzy, and Offspring's Pretty Fly for a white guy while they were fighting the Taliban. But once a lieutenant colonel for the Marines found out that the boys were doing that, he was like, no, we need to put a stop to that. Those are instances of warfare, but... Music has been used to break people down before you interrogate them, which is kind of a, a bad thing. And while some people say that there are no lasting effects, the United Nations and the European Court of Human Rights have banned the use of music, loud music especially, in interrogations. There have been numerous stories of songs that were just played repetitively over and over at very loud volumes that have caused uh, people a lot of psychological discomfort, even some points where they just would play clips of songs just over and over and over again. And the human rights group Amnesty International counts this as a method of torture. <laughs> so, before you decide to use this tactic on your neighbors or your little brother or whoever, you need to remember a few things. You're probably breaking multiple laws, and as a lawyer, I would advise against <laughs> that, not the least of which would be disturbing the peace. So, if you're planning on doing something like that, just don't. Good advice. Hey, rockers, the ski break is coming up. How much TikTok can you really watch for two weeks before your brain turns into total mush? Well, you know what? Get up off the couch, get over to the Rock U studio, and rock out with one of our ski break vacation bands. February 20th through March 3rd. Two separate weeks. You can join either week or both. You learn some new songs. You play some new instruments. You record videos of your songs at the end of the week. And you rock out. Spend a little better time than you would on, on your couch. So come on down and join us. All right, Rockers, we're back. And you know what time it is. It's that 60-second slice of awesomeness called the one-minute <laughs> matchup. All right, Matt, what are we doing today? Today, we are answering the question, if you could join any band, which one would it be? Tough question. I know. We should define our terms a little bit. Okay. Uh, um, maybe we should have done this before we actually came up with our answers. But um, <laughs> Why uh, this would a, we do that? This is a question I like Planning? to ask. This is a question I like to ask people and I like to think of myself. But it's kind of a, a fantasy experiment in the sense that you don't necessarily displace the person that you whose instrument Re you'd be playing. Ah, you don't okay. change the band or its composition <laughs> or its repertoire. It's just you're now part of the band and we'll leave that loosely defined. All right. Are you going first? I'm going first this time. Since I have the stopwatch yep. in my hand, yep. your minute on this wonderful question starts 
now? Okay, so I considered three factors. By the way, this is a question I've asked myself many times, and my answer has evolved. But I consider three factors. First of all, playing the songs. Yeah. Second of all, hearing the songs. Do I like the music? Yeah. And third of all, the audience reaction to the songs. Okay. And uh, I really like playing funk I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the experience of all three. But um, I find when I play a, a, a set, you know, I might have 35 songs in a, in a, in a gig set list. And, you know, five of them, I got to spend a lot of time making sure I'm comfortable with them and they sound good. Right. Um, I sometimes don't want that stress. So uh, the band I actually ended up with was ACDC. Every oh, time cool. I sit down and play um, an ACDC song with the kids at Rock U, they're pretty easy to play. They're really fun to listen to. I just have such a great time. I think that would be really fun. Just go out there and play those songs with a big smile on your face, not worry too much about, oh, man, did I get that lick right? And the timing is really tricky on that one. So I would join ACDC. Wow, just a tick over a minute. That was a great job. Thanks. You ready for yours? I think so. Okay. My minute starts. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So I didn't go as in depth with you. I just thought, what band could I be in that would be just super cool fun for me? And I got to pick Rush. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sadly, Neil's not with us anymore. Uh, so it wouldn't technically be Rush because if I'd be able to play drums, I mean, I can't play Neil's parts, but if I could somehow catapult myself into drummer superstardom, I would be. But, um, and as Getty and Alex have said before, if any one of the three of them is gone, it's not Rush. So, uh, I'd have to be something different with them. But Alex and Getty aren't just great musicians. They're great friends, and hopefully they'd be friends with me, and we could have all the fun that they used to have with <laughs> Neil. They don't take themselves too seriously, and they have so much fun. Maybe we could call the band Hush instead of Rush, because <laughs> I'm not as good as Neil. Anyway. You done? Yeah. You've got 56 seconds. Well done. Yeah, yeah. see, that, that's the question. It's like, if you, if putting myself in your shoes, if I was a drummer, and yeah. I was invited to join Rush, and they were my favorite band and I loved, I, I wouldn't do it. I would the pressure to be able to play those songs. Yeah, those would be songs enormous. Are so I yeah. mean, Neil was under pressure to yeah. play those songs and yeah. do them yeah, correctly. Exactly. And like you brought up yeah. multiple times before, he when he played Tom Sawyer correctly, he was like, "Wow, wow, that's awesome!" And he yeah. didn't he didn't do it yeah. very often, according to him. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I you know, my favorite band's The Police, and if uh, yeah. if I was asked to replace Andy Summers on guitar, I wouldn't do it. That stuff is so hard to play well. And I just I would feel yeah. the enormous pressure of it, which is again why I went with ACDC, just easy and <laughs> easy fun and a good time. Well, so. to double down on it, if if I played with Alex and Getty, that it wouldn't be Rush at the Taylor Hawkins tribute show. There were three Rush songs that they played. Yeah, one was YYZ, one was the first movement of Twenty One Twelve, and the other was Working Man. And if you'll notice. None of Neil Peart's lyrics mm, were actually. in that set. Yeah. And I sense. think they that was purpose. intentional yeah, sure. because of how important he was to them. Yep. So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? <laughs> Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr.
Today's episode of Extra Credit The Rock You Podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.